Okay, today, here is chapter 12 of The Wheel on the School. And chapter 12 is called The Wheel on the School. Read with permission from HarperCollins. On Monday morning, the storm hadn't stopped. It raged in fury against the dike. The sea was upended. The spume and roiled spindrift still flew high above the dike, landing in gray, dirty flecks in the streets and on the roofs. If anything, the storm was more jerky and fitful. Odd, sudden lulls seemed to fall momentarily between the high shrieks and moans of the wind, although behind the dike the sea thundered on. Enormous breakers hurled themselves up and washed in a last thin hissing line almost to the crest of the dike. Now and then, the spent water of an unusually large wave managed to spill over the dike. In the houses, the fishermen sat loafing in the corners of their kitchens, behind the stoves, if possible, to be out of the way of their busy wives and of their children getting ready for school. They were given no peace, and all sure of the fishermen fathers were pestered by their children. The wheel had to go up on the school, storm or no storm. Just suppose some storks came through tomorrow, Lena argued with her father in the kitchen. Yes, just suppose and suppose, her father barked back. Just suppose you let me be nice and quiet in my little corner. It feels good to be dry and warm and to do nothing for a change. Yes, but suppose the storm ends, then you'll be going out to sea again, and we won't have a wheel up on the roof of the school. There's nobody else but Yanish and Oldoa, and they can't get on roofs. They're lucky, her father said impatiently. It'll be a long storm. I've told you, there's plenty of time. That storm isn't going to shut off like a faucet. Can't I wait at least for a quieter day? He disappeared behind his weak old newspaper, which, since he had been at sea for weeks, was news to him, news and a refuge to hide behind. He was given no chance to read it. Lena's little sister, Linda, at that moment insisted on climbing into a slap. And on the other side of the newspaper, Lena still argued with him. The teacher said Saturday that if the wheel could go up today, there'd be no school, so we can all help you, she said to the newspaper. With all of us helping, it shouldn't take long. What does a teacher know about wind and storms? Let him get on that roof in a storm then, and it's off to school with you right now. They'll come a quieter day before we can take off for sea again, and then we'll see. But off with you, so I can have a quiet day today. It was final. Lena indignantly shoved her feet into her wooden shoes. She knew better than to argue further. She had gone as far as she dared. She buttoned her jacket tightly up around her throat and stamped out of the house. Listen, Yella, how often do I have to tell you? I'm not stirring from this house today, and that's final. A man ought to have a couple of days of rest after weeks out at sea without having to sit on top of a school. Now beat it. Get in that school and learn something instead of sitting on top of it. But the teacher said there'd be no school today if we put up the wheel. Well, you can't get the wheel up in this dorm, so there is school, and I say so. Or do I have to take you there by the scruff of your neck and the seat of your pants? Yella shoved his feet disgustedly into his wooden shoes and slammed the door behind him. Listen, Peer and Dirk, that's the trouble with twins. A man gets a double dose of everything. One more yammer or argument out of the two of you, and I'll knock your two heads together so hard you'll be lucky if you have one head left between you. Even so, that ought to be enough. You don't use your two heads. The answer is no, no, no. No wheel on no school in no storm. But we'd help all you men. The teacher said no school if... And I say there is school. 
and you two will be in it, if only so I don't have to hear another word about storks. On your way. Peer and Dirk looked at each other. They glumly shoved their feet into their shoes and moved to the door, muttering dire things to each other. Behind his weak old newspaper, their father sat grinning at their fuming threats. Learn your lessons well today, he teased them. I hear it's going to be about storks. Just so it isn't about lazy, stubborn fishermen, Peter said stormily. Afraid he'd said too much, he scooted to the door with Dirk close behind him. Their father rustled the newspaper. Dirk pushed through the door and almost tumbled over him to get out as fast as he could. The door fell shut. Listen, Alka, don't you ever let up on me. If I hear another word about another stork, I'll, I'll take your neck and stretch it until you look like a stork. Then you can go and sit up on a wheel on top of a roof. Storks got more sense than to do that in a storm. How do you expect me to lug a wheel up that roof in a storm? I haven't got wings. And if I should slide down a slippery roof in this high wind and land on my head, who's going to earn the money so you can go to school and fool around with storks? You get to that school. But there is no school if we put the wheel up. Well, nobody is going to put that wheel up today, so there is school. Bye, Alka. There was nothing left for Alka to do but to put his shoes on and move off silently. His father watched him. If you stick that lower lip out much farther in your pout, you can put that wagon wheel on there instead of on the roof, he teased. Alka said a few wicked things to himself and looked stonily at his father as he closed the door very slowly to let in as much wind and draft as possible. Ilka's father, sitting cozily beside the stove and in the kitchen, peered around his newspaper to watch Ilka, slowly putting on his shoes, buttoning his jacket, and pulling up the collar. Where do you think you're going, son? To school, Ilka said. It's Monday, you know, but it's much too stormy to put that wheel up on the roof of the school today, so I suppose it'll be school. He sighed. I never did have much luck. Bye, Pop. Ilka hunched himself to meet the wind that was driving down the street. Ahead of him were all the other school children, bent over, boring into the wind. Unwilling and angry and defeated, each one walked alone on the hard way to school. No one hurried to catch up with any of the others. Each one hated to have to admit that he'd gone down in defeat. And Ilka was too slow and far behind and full of breakfast to make the effort. It had been a scheme hatched and planned after church yesterday. That was what Pierre and Dirk had said to do about fathers, pester them until they gave in. If all the children worked at it, nagged and pleaded, oh, your father would growl and act angry and make wisecracks, but that's the way men are, different from mothers. You didn't get to know your father very well, always out at sea, but that's the way it had to be done. Joke a little, tease and nag, nag and tease, wait and see. In spite of what your father said or growled, sooner or later, he'd do what you wanted. Some of the others had had their misgivings, Ilka especially. He'd said that his father would say, Oh, sure, Ilka, and then not do it. But Pierre and Dirk had knowingly assured them all that it was much easier than with mothers. You'd get a sound box on the ear from your mother if you kept on pestering her like that. But then your mother had you yapping around her all the time, so she had less patience. The others, all but Ilka, had been easily convinced, especially since the success of the scheme meant that not only would the wheel be put up on the school, but they'd also have the rest of the day free from lessons. It was worth a good try. But Ilka had said his father was just too good-natured 
he wouldn't be pestered. The scheme had failed miserably. Now each child on his way to school hated to admit to the others that he had failed, not knowing that the others had failed just as completely. The storm was never going to stop. They knew it. There wouldn't be a stork left after this storm. Everything was hopeless and useless. Even if there should be one or two storks left, left over from the storm, what was the good of that? There'd be no wheel on the school anyway, just because of their fathers. They had to face each other in the portal of the school. It was cold in the portal, but at least here they had, they were sheltered from the vicious wind. They all made great pretense of blowing and stamping and beating their arms. They all breathed heavily. Whew, what a wind, somebody said. The others said nothing. They eyed each other while they flailed their arms across their chests in a great pretense of cold and chill. Finally, Yella turned on Dirk and Pierre as the authors of the scheme. Well, he demanded, is your dad coming? Pierre and Dirk looked at each other. No, Pierre admitted slowly. I guess not. That cleared the air. Mine isn't either. You should have heard him. Neither's mine. He isn't coming at all. Said he'd just as try soon try to sail the sea in a bushel basket in this storm as sit on the sharp roof of this school. Now maybe, he said, if we had a saddle, he might try it. But what good was a fisherman split in two on the ridge of a sharp roof in a high wind? The two halves of him. He didn't think he could go out fishing afterwards and catch double the amount of fish. In spite of themselves, they all laughed at the, at the sally. Now that they'd admitted all admitted failure, they tried to outdo each other in repeating what their fathers had said. Now they could laugh about it. And Ilka didn't say, what did I tell you? He was laughing too hard. Yella summed it up for all of them. Guess it is too windy for old men like our dads. The teacher suddenly stood in the doorway. Lena burst out with it for the group. None of our fathers, not a single one, would come, she said. Not a one would get from behind the stove. There they sit, baking. So, the teacher said, so is that the grievance? Wise men, I'd say. You'll have to learn that, too, sooner or later, that you can't defy a storm, that you can't hurt, hurt a wall with just your head. So, let's go inside. Let's start writing our lessons to get our minds on other things. Your fathers will come through. You know that. If not today, the first possible day that the storm will let, it, let them. They'll put up the wheel before they set out to sea again. Did they tell you that? Lena asked eagerly. No, they didn't tell me. I know that. And all of you ought to know it, too. Fathers always come through when it's possible. It's the way of fathers and mothers. You're just impatient. But the wheel can wait now. The storks will be waiting out the storm. Let's be just as patient and wise as the storks. The lessons didn't go too, too well, in spite of the teacher's reassurances. The wind, howling and shrieking around the corners of the exposed school, kept reminding them of the storm sweeping across the sea and the land. The wagon wheel leaning against the blackboard kept reminding them of storks. The howl of the wind made it difficult to understand the teacher and made it even more difficult to concentrate on answers. Who could think out arithmetic problems when hundreds of storks coming from Africa were maybe going down in the sea? How many storks would drown and never come to Shora? That was the outrageous arithmetic problem. The wind seemed to be howling at them. The teacher asked Alka how much 16 times 16 were. Alka had to jerk his attention away from the window where a tuft of hay was held against the glass by the relentless wind. 
There won't be a single stork can come through a storm like this, Alka answered. Nobody smiled at Alka's mistake. All eyes went anxiously to the window and from the window to the huge wagon wheel leaning against the front blackboard. Even the teacher looked somber. It's getting still worse, somebody in a back seat muttered. It only seems that way, the teacher said slowly, because we feel so helpless, because we're just sitting still and doing nothing about the wheel. Inaction is hard, and still, Alka, the only problem before us is that we can do that we can do anything about is how much are sixteen times sixteen? There was a long pause. Alka had to jerk his mind from his own inside woes and then figure out the answer. He got it wrong. Oh, he said moodily to himself, I thought he said sixteen times eighteen. Nobody but Alka cared that his answer was wrong, not even the teacher. The teacher himself was standing listening to the sounds outside. The wind seemed to be making new noises. Muttering, grumbling noises penetrated the classroom door. Outside the portal, there was a sound of something crashing down. Now there were stumbling noises in the portal. The wind must have blown something in and was rolling it around. Everybody's head was cocked toward the classroom door. There came a hard knock. There were voices. Our dads, Lena cried. The teacher hurried to open the door. There stood the men of Shora. It isn't sane. It's insane, one of the men said to the teacher. It sounded like Ilka's father. First, the kids nag you every waking minute, so you chase the kids off to school. What happens then? Their mothers start in on you. Nobody's got anything on the brain but those blasted storks on that wagon wheel. Well, they nagged us all out of our houses, so we got together and decided it was less grief putting up that wheel than facing a bunch of nagging women and children. The teacher grinned at the men. Solomon found that out a few thousand years before you. Didn't he, in his proverb, say that it was better to sit on the roof of a house than with a nagging woman inside the house? Alka's father turned to the men behind him. Did you hear that? If his wives had even wise old Solomon up on a roof, what are a few dumb fishermen going to do? Get on the roof with Solomon, somebody said in the portal. He knew when he was licked. The schoolroom tittered. The men were joking, and in spite of the storm, they were going to try to put the wheel up. And they weren't unhappy about it. You could tell that. Not even, not if they were making wisecracks. That was always a good sign. Yella's hefty father peered over the head of the teacher into the classroom. It seems I was told, he boomed, that part of the deal was that if we put that wheel on the roof, there'd be no school today. Was I correctly informed, or was that just Yella and his endless love for school? No, the whole room sang out, no school, he promised. They did not wait for the teacher so much as to nod his head. They could see in his face anything went today. They streamed from the room and got into jackets and stocking caps and wooden shoes. From the portal, they saw that their fathers had even brought ladders and lumber and ropes. The stuff lay in a helter-skelter pile in the schoolyard where it had been dropped. Out of the way! Out of the way, you all you mortals! Yella came shouting. Yella alone had remembered. He had jumped to the front of the room to get the wagon wheel instead of just rushing out with the rest. Now he sent the wheel rolling wildly into the portal. Everybody had to scatter. The wheel wobbled in an uncertain path, somehow found the outside doorway, plunged into the yard, and settled itself on the pile of beams and ropes and ladders. Well, it's all here now, a man shouted. Now roll out your storks. 
The men laughed, but not the children. Happy and relieved and eager as they were, now that their fathers were actually going to put up the wheel, it was not a good joke. The low, sweeping sky, scudding and racing with clouds that looked as angry as capped waves on the sea, threatened bad things. There was nothing in the sky but storm. There wasn't a bird anywhere, not even a sparrow. A rain squash slashed down. The wind hurled the rain into the portal. Will there be any storks left after a storm like this? Dirk asked the group of men around the pile in the schoolyard. The men looked up at the sky and shrugged. Maybe, if the storm doesn't hang on too long, Lena's father said. Maybe a couple of them will have sense enough to go bury their heads in sand until this blows over. That's ostriches, Lena's standing right beside him said scornfully. She was half ashamed of the ignorance of her father. And right before the teacher, ostriches are supposed to bury their heads in the sand, only they don't. I guess that takes care of you and your ostriches, Ilka's father said. Yeah, Lena's father said, nettled. Maybe I'd better go bury my head in some stand. These modern-day school kids, they know everything, don't they? Me, all I know is fish, he grinned suddenly. You kids wouldn't be satisfied with a couple of fish on the roof, he asked plaintively. Say a couple of sharks in a wash tub? The children hooted, and he grinned broadly. He sobered, stepped back, and eyed the sharp school roof. Well, come on, you Solomons, he said impatiently. Let's get on the roof and get that wheel up. The men stood studying the steep roof. Wet and steep and windy, it'll be slippier than a deck full of jellyfish, one of them said. But up with the ladder, and we'll see what the climate is up there. Two men raised the long ladder high and straight. As they carried it upright around the corner of the school, a blast of wind caught the high ladder. The two men struggled, but they couldn't hold it up. The ladder swayed and twisted and threatened to come crashing down. Everybody stood anxiously, watching the top of the ladder, expecting it to smash to pieces against the ground at any moment. Watch it! Watch it! somebody yelled. If you can't even set a ladder up, how do you expect to get a wheel up there? Get into it, all of you! Don't stand there staring at the top rung. Let it down. Let it down, I say. There. Now carry it flat around that windy corner. That isn't a flag you're carrying in a parade. It was Janusz. There he came in his wheelchair, forcing it ahead against the wind by sheer strength, at the same time loudly scolding everybody. The men let the ladder down. Then they turned to face Janusz, a bit peeved at being bawled out before their own children. But Janusz was grinning broadly. He was having a fine time in spite of the wind and the struggle to move against it. He rolled up to the group in his wheelchair. When it comes to doing anything on land, you guys are about as helpless as the fish are, he told them. He turned his chair as so as to face the roof. Now then, let's use our heads. Better yet, I'll use my head. So now we've got an overseer, one of the men said. All right, now lay that ladder down, Janusz directed. Place one end against the wall, then raise the other end. Get under it. Walk your hands from spoke to spoke until it's up straight against the wall. Then all you have to do is pull out the bottom end. See? That way you don't fight the wind. Well, that worked, one of the men said. When the ladder was up, the men automatically turned to Janusz for further instruction. Janusz looked at the pile of lumber and the one ladder beside it. Now, the other ladder and push it up on the roof. But first, tie a coil of rope on the top rung so you can let the rope down the other side of the roof to fasten the ladder down. Then, lash the second ladder to the first, otherwise the wind will just sweep it right off the roof. 
Meanwhile, you kids get me that wagon wheel. While he waited for the children to roll the big wheel to him, Janish kept looking at the pile of beams and boards still laying in the schoolyard. What's the big pile for? He yelled up to the roof. To brace up the wheel. Gotta have some brackets or braces or something to hold the wheel on the sharp ridge of this roof, Alka's father explained. Yeah, but you're just gonna have storks up there, not elephants, Janish said scornfully. The way I've doped it out, the wheel's gotta be up there nice and simple. With all your beams and boards and two-by-four sticking in every direction, storks flying overhead will think it's a trap, not a nest. But just get on with that ladder. Janusz will fix it nice and neat and simple. Yes, sir, yes, sir, Alka's father said. Up with the second ladder, men, Janusz says. Yella, Alka, and Lena rolled the wagon wheel before Janusz. Now where's that saw? Janusz said impatiently. Somewhere I saw I hung a saw on this wheelchair contraption. There it is. Pierce said behind him, you brought a hammer, too. You're sitting on it. The hammer, too, Janish said. The hammer first. Then, paying no attention to the alarmed looks of the children, he took the hammer and drove the steel rim off the inner wooden rim of the wheel. After studying the pitch of the roof and the ridge, he began sawing a deep V into the side of the wooden rim. The children had to hold the wheel steady for him while he saw it. See, I'll cut two deep V's, and that way the rim will fit snug on the ridge, he explained. Then we'll fit the iron rim just partly over the wooden one so it won't cover the V notches. The iron doesn't have to cover the whole wooden rim. This wheel isn't going rolling any place. It'll even be better that way. With the iron rim sticking up, it'll make sort of a pan of the wheel. Storks are awfully sloppy nest builders. This may help them to hold all the stuff they'll lug up on this wheel. The teacher came up. Janusz, don't you want to go inside? No sense in your sitting here in the wind when you can do your work just as well inside. If those men can sit on that windy roof, I can sit here where it's practically cozy, Janusz said so shortly, his whole grim attention on his sawing. The teacher, realizing Janusz wanted no favors, said no more. Anything I can do? he asked. I feel sort of useless with everybody else busy. Well, I need a brace and a bit, a long bit, so it will go through the ridge boards on both sides of the roof. My dad's got a brace and all kinds of bits, all sizes, Yella said eagerly. I'll go get them. Well, there goes Yella and the job you had for me, the teacher said. Hold it, Yana said. I also need two heavy iron rods, long enough so the two edges of the wheel rim can rest on them. You see, we'll drill the holes through the ridge, shove the rods through them, and then rest the wheel on the rods. The two notches I cut in the wooden rim will fit snugly over the ridge. Then all we'll need to do is wire the rim to the two supporting rods, and they'll be there'll be the wheel, steady and level and solid as a house. But I can't think of anybody in sure who would have a couple of couple of heavy rods like that. Ha! The teacher said, "You're talking to the right man. It seems to me I've got a couple of rods like that in the tower when I go there to ring the bell. I'm almost sure." Just so they're long enough, Janusz said. I'll go look, and nobody can take this job away from me. As the official bell ringer for this village, I'm the only one to have a key to the tower. The teacher pulled the big ancient key out of his pocket and held it up. He hurried off. Glad I found something for him to do, Janusz said to Lena. He makes me nervous watching so closely. He's just as jittery and excited as you kids. He had finished cutting the notches. Now came the job of fitting the iron rim partially over the wooden rim. The boys and Lena had all they could do to hold the wheel upright and steady as Janusz struggled with the close-fitting rim. 
Yillam returned with the brace and all the bits. A few minutes later, the teacher came back with two large, rusty rods. Janusz studied the rods. They should do. Good and thick and solid. Plenty long enough for the wheel. Good thing you remember them, he said to the teacher. It must be the only pair of loose rods in shore. It was the one thing had me worried, me with my fine plans and no rods. I'd have been the laughing stock around here. Yella was sent up the ladder to carry the brace and bit to his father. The teacher was sent off to find some heavy wire that could be used to secure the wheel to the rods. Gotta keep him busy, Yannis said with a sly wink at Lena. At last, the wheel was ready. The children rolled it to the ladder. The men began hoisting the huge wagon wheel up the ladder while Yella's father drilled the two holes for the rods in the ridge of the roof. It was a slow, hard struggle against the tugging of the wind. Two of the fishermen now straddled the ridge, ready to lift the wheel onto the rods when it reached them. The men straddling the ridge had to press themselves flat. They lay with faces against the roof and clung with one hand to the ladder. The men working the wheel up the roof had to stop and be content just to hold the wheel in place on the ladder. The squall passed as suddenly as it had come, and the struggle went on again. Janusz watched every move with eagle eyes. He was so intent he seemed unaware of the sweep of wind and rain and hail. Yet, from time to time, Janusz glanced down the road to the village. Suddenly, he bellowed, Look at that, men! Look what's coming! The women! What do you know? Wind or hail? Here come the women! Pots of hot coffee for you! This is going to turn into a picnic! Hooray for women! All work stopped on the roof. Everybody sat looking down the road. They called the women on. The women came in a close group, trying to protect their steaming coffee from the cold wind. Then a new blast of hail had the men hanging on to the roof and the ladders again. The moment the squall passed, they looked down the road again. No use looking, Yana shouted. No hot coffee, no nothing, until the wheel is up and secure. Yana, you're a slave driver, one of the men on the ridge complained. All you need is a whip. Don't need a whip, Yana called back. Got my tongue. Yeah, Pierre and Dirk's father yelled down. Too bad that shark didn't get your tongue instead of your legs. Down below, Janusz flushed red and embarrassed. He looked away and then glowered up from under the peak of his cap to see how Pierre's father had, had meant the joke. Pierre's father saw the look. He gave Janusz a good-natured grin. All of Janusz eased in the chair. He let out his breath. Well, all I can tell you is, he called out slowly, that shark was eyeing my tongue. Got a good look at it, too, all I was telling him. But it looked too tough even for him, I guess. He must have decided my sea boots were tenderer, so he took my boots. How could that poor dumb fish know my legs were inside of them? Everybody laughed, and Janusz sat back, relieved. He seemed to test the laugh, almost as if he were tasting it. Then he looked at Pierre, hovering anxiously beside his chair. Good kid, he said. Don't think I know everybody's... Don't think I don't know everybody accepting that crazy story because it's good for me. And it is good, he added fiercely. Good. The wheel was being fitted over the ridge. Janusz riveted his whole attention to the, on the operation. It's got to work, my idea with just two rods, he muttered anxiously. Otherwise, my name is Mud. They'll razz me out of Shora. The teacher came hurrying up with a handful of wires. Janusz picked out the heaviest and sent Pierre up the ladder with him. Nothing more for you to do, Janusz told the teacher, but the women have hot coffee on the stove in the schoolroom. Go get yourself a cup. You aren't used to being out in this kind of weather. Aye, aye, sir, the teacher said. He saluted smartly and trotted off. 
Yella's father, lying full length on the ladder on the roof, was twisting the wire around the rods and the rim of the wheel. It was awkward, slow, overhead work. The cold and the salt, stinging wind were numbing all the men and slowing their movements. The two men straddling the ridge were holding the wheel in place. One of them had to let it go his hold to rest his numbed arm. He wearily rubbed a hand over his face to wipe away the icy wetness. He took a new hold, but now the wheel was tilted. Jan, hold that wheel straight, Janusz said. Those storks need a nest, not a chute. Luck, Jan answered irritably before he gave a thought to what he was saying. If you think you can do it better, you come up here and hold it. There was an awkward, stunned pause. Everybody looked at Janusz. Lena, Lena, beside his chair, laid her hand on Janusz's shoulder. But to her astonishment, Janusz was delighted. Did you hear that? Yes, Lena. He forgot I've got no legs. Bless his honorary old hide. That's the way it's got to be. Now Jan, who had been preoccupied with the wheel in his precarious position, realized what he'd said. He looked down at Janusz. A slow grin spread over his face. Stay there, he said. I'm not giving you a chance to come up here and show me up. I'll show you I'm as much a man as you are. He hadn't apologized or even tried to cover it up. They were treating Janusz man to man. He was one of them again. Janusz bent low to straighten out the pin in his folded-over trousers leg. He fumbled with it. When he straightened up, his eyes were bright. Bless his honorable hide, he mumbled. Lena took her hand off his shoulder. Even she mustn't baby Janusz. Would you dare, Janusz asked suddenly. We've got to test that wheel, and you're the only one who's about the weight of two storks. I've got to know whether it'll hold their nest without tilting or wobbling. The men will hold you up on the wheel. Janusz wasn't babying her either. Sure, Lena said stoutly. On the ridge, Jan held Lena's hand as she climbed on the wheel. Janusz directed from down below. Lena walked along the rim of the wheel as far as Jan could reach and still keep his hold on her. Janusz watched her closely. You can come down now, he said. It'll hold. It didn't so much a stir, even with you walking on the edge. Everybody down now. Take the ropes and ladders down and go get your coffee. Lena made use of that moment of distraction to pull free from Jan's hand. She climbed up on the hub of the wheel. She flapped her arms. I'm a stork! I'm a stork! she cried. The next moment, a gust of wind caught her, and she had to let herself fall, clutching for the spokes of the wheel and grabbing wildly for Jan's outstretched hand. She hung on for dear life. Some stork! the boys jeered up at her. Let's see you fly down. Jan, come on down and bring that stork with you under your arms, Janusz said, before she tries to fly. I wouldn't put it past her. It was a picnic, steaming coffee and cakes and fat balls. It was a feast. Hot chocolate milk for the boys and Lena. That was what it, what made it really a picnic and a feast. You had hot chocolate milk only on the Queen's birthday and fat balls only on Santa Claus Day. But now fat balls and chocolate all the same day and the rest of the day free. It was a holiday. The schoolroom buzzed. Janusz was in the midst of it in his wheelchair. His voice carried above all the others, but everybody was in high spirits. They'd wrestled the wheel up on the roof in spite of storm and cold and hail and squalls. It made it a holiday. No school the rest of the day, and their father's home with games to play. They'd all play dominoes with their dads. The five boys and Lena decided it among themselves as they sat in their seats, sipping hot chocolate while the grown-ups crowded around the warm stove. It happened so seldom, having their father's home. Always they were out at sea, or if home, 
busy with nets and sails and the readying of the boats. Now they'd have almost a whole day with their dads. The storm had made it a holiday for them, a chance for games and jokes with their fathers. Everybody was talking, and Janusz was in the midst of everything. Now he noticed the boys and Lena in their corner. How is it? he asked. Is this a feast or isn't it? Hot chocolate milk and hot fat balls, Pierre told, told him smartly. Hey, Janusz, all it lacks is some cherries. Janusz laughed. To get them, you'd have to go where the wind took them, over a couple of provinces or so, I think, or maybe into Germany. Well, there's a few under the tree if you like salt cherries. Lena hastily toys, told the boys what she was going to ask Janusz, that she was going to ask Janusz to play dominoes, too. He and Jana had no children. Janusz ought to be invited, too. They all agreed eagerly. They all wanted Janusz in their houses. Oh, no, you don't, Lena said. I thought of it first. And that's the end of chapter 12.